Okay, we're going to get started. Uh, good evening and welcome to the uh, Alba City Community Police Review Board Forum. Uh, first out of business is roll call. Uh, will you please uh, indicate with present if you're here? Uh, McDonald, McConnell? Here. Daniels? Present. Nichols? Present. Simer? Selmer's here. Selmer? And Townsend, here. Uh, next, uh, item two, introduction of board members. So, uh, David, would you start out? Sure. No, I don't know what the form is going to be. Are we doing like uh, more of a background or just introducing ourselves? Introduce, introduction of yourself, just how long you've been on the board, you know, and, uh, any other uh, activities you're involved in, I guess. Sure. Um, my name's David Selmer. I've been on the board now. This is my third year. And um, I come from a, a law background originally. Um, I did civil rights practice and I uh, defended police officers in Chicago, Illinois for a while. And then I um, uh, ended up litigating civil rights cases on behalf of uh, plaintiffs against police officers in Chicago for a while. Um, I now own my own business here in Iowa City. I've lived here with my family for uh, I'd say going on almost 10 years now, um, somewhere around there, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of this community and, and proud to serve it in this role. Okay, thank you. Okay. McConnell, would you like to share something with us? Um, sure. I'm Jerry McConnell. I've only been on the board a few months. Um, I was a psychiatric social life social worker in my real life before I retired. Thank you. Meg Daniels? Hi, my name is Letitia. Uh, I've been on the board for about two years. Um, um, I'm also served on the board for the Iowa City Tennis Union and also for the ACLU chapter um, in Iowa City. I've been in Iowa City for about um, about eight years, and I'm originally from the South, so um, uh, Texas, Louisiana. Okay. Okay. Nichols? Hi, I'm Mandy Nichols. I've lived in Iowa City for over 20 years. I work at the university hospitals and clinics, and I'm the director of Corridor Community Action Network. I've only been on the board since July. Okay, thank you. And I'm Orville Townsend, and I'm starting on my second term. And uh, I've involved in Alba City. I'm uh, a member of the Black Voices Project, and I'm also on the uh, with uh, the Iowa University of Iowa Black Alumni Association. So thank you for sharing your introductions again. Uh, item three. We need to uh, a motion to consider a motion to accept uh, correspondence and the documents. Uh, I need a motion. Motion. Okay, in motion. Uh, can I second? Second. Okay, then motion and second. Okay, we 
we only receive one one um, one correspondence, and I if I can find it here, I'll I'll share share that with you. That was from, um, I, for some reason, don't have it with me here. Let's see if I can conjure that up. It was a correspondence from Angie and Jason. And uh, their question was to do with uh, whether or not the uh, Managers in the the uh, police department were hampered by uh, union contracts, and uh, based upon a response that I received, I'll share that with you. The response is uh, the ICPD union contract. And, nego and negotiations do not limit the actions of police chief or others in charge to address negative slash unacceptable behaviors of officers and staff. As stated in Article 2 in the contract between the Iowa City and the Police Union Relations Organization of Iowa City, Management rights include the power and authority to suspend or discharge officers or for proper cause and to determine and implement methods, means, assignments, and personnel by which its operations are to be conducted and to develop and enforce rules of work and safety standards. So that's... Uh, you know, the response from the city to uh, Jason and uh, Angie's uh, response, a request. Uh, next order of business. Marvel, was that going to be typed up and um, submitted with our documents, do you know? Uh, that was, uh, uh, I think, basically, uh, Chris can basically have that in the next packet. Okay. So the written response will be available to the public, right? Uh, yes. Chris, uh, am, am I correct in assuming that it can be made available to the public? Yes, I will put it with the draft minutes of the forum. Orville, you still need a vote. You've, you've had a motion and a second, so we need a vote. Uh, now we... Uh, have a motion now. Can I get a, a, a motion to accept the uh, correspondence? Orville, you already have the motion. You just need to ask all those in favor or opposed. 
All those in favor of receiving correspondence, let it be known by saying aye. 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 Against, the ayes have it and motion carries. Okay, uh, item number four is uh, public discussion with the uh, with community police review board. Uh, I have some things I need to share with you first. And uh, beginning with city council has requested a report and recommendations from the CPRB regarding changes to the CPRB ordinance that enhances its ability to provide effective civilian oversight to the Alva City Police Department. The board welcomes any suggestions or comments from the public. And before we start public comments, I'd just like to share with you, uh, if you are participating on Zoom from your computer, I'll ask that you use the raise hand button and you will be called upon to speak. If you have called in by phone, you can press star nine to raise your hand. Comments will be limited to three to five minutes depending on number received. Also, will you please state your first and last name before you begin to speak? Okay, thank you. It looks like our, our first speaker is David Drewstrup. Okay, David. All right, can you hear me okay, Mr. Townsend? Yes. All right, thank you so much for having me. My name is David Drewstrup. Um, just want to uh, start thank you all for having this, uh, for taking the community input. Um, I think it's a, a really important aspect of uh, of all this work is allowing the community to be the ones who, who decide how we are policed. Um, so city officials often like to use the phrasing systemic racism, um, but, but often what we hear are solutions that are only reformist and actually non-systemic. So the, the great Dr. Angela Davis recently pointed out in an interview that reforms are the things that got us to this point. And so why do so many well-meaning liberal people simply ask for more reform? And she points out that most of these people um, lack a historical consciousness, as she calls it. So Dr. Davis and other scholars point out that reforms are actually not new, that we've always tried to do things like additional police trainings. We've tried diversifying the police force. We've tried making changes to police technology. But these are all reforms that have failed at achieving meaningful change. She reiterates reforms are what led us to this place today. So if we want to address systemic racism, we must have a systemic solution. So that means changing the underlying function of police and anything less is non-systemic. And the reason the police have always operated as a racist and classist institution is not because there are individual police officers who are bad people, although this certainly can be true. It's because the institution has been tasked not to provide protection and safety, but to simply keep order. And when the officers are granted the individual discretion on how to keep that order, um, the order that they believe is most important, then it will inevitably harm those who have less social power. And so that means in Iowa City, the immigrant and refugee community, it means BIPOC folks, it means LGBTQ and financially insecure people. 
Meanwhile, people who are white or financially secure or who might be part of well-respected organizations or groups in Iowa City, they all have social power and they very often push back against policing changes because they know that the police and the current social system largely protect them. So instead of repeating another round of reforms, we must invest in the people who have been unloved by power in Iowa City. So this means increasing their power by increasing their access to services and finances that allow them to be safe and don't even need to interact with the police in the first place. So this means mental health, housing, food, and more. In the meantime, we must remove funding from the police and instead have trained professionals respond to calls in the community. So for example, for mental health calls, we need mental health professionals responding, not police. Police are trained in punishment and only have about one week's worth of training every single year compared to mental health professionals who have entire years of training every year. So the community meeting that the city council hosted last week um, showed how little funding these organizations receive and how much better they could be, how much better they could serve our community if they had the right funding. There was extremely broad support at that meeting for the idea of mental health professionals handling mental health calls. So we know the community wants this. It's just a matter of whether our leaders have the political will to give up some of whatever connection or power they have with the police department. And these rapid response teams can be modeled off of other cities such as Eugene, Oregon, where they handle calls for mental health, homelessness, substance use, domestic abuse, interpersonal conflict, and so much more. A really thinly funded department in Eugene saves the Eugene government over $5 million a year by the own government's estimates in uh, diverging away emergency room visits and, and allowing police to do things that they're actually trained to do. Also, Councillor Thomas on City Council has introduced the idea of limiting or eliminating road traffic stops by police, which has resulted to Iowa being one of the worst states in the country in disproportionate minority contact. So Councillor Thomas has proposed instituting more traffic cameras at busy or dangerous intersections. And I think we should seriously consider support for Councillor Thomas's proposal insofar as that technology is not used to disproportionately affect communities of color or BIPOC individuals. Thank you all so much. Thank you, David. I currently do not have anyone else with their hand raised. Oh, here we go. Aaron Page. Mute now. All right. Everyone can hear me? Yes. Hi. Um, yeah, hi. I'm just I'm I'm trying to I'm sort of new to the system and just trying to like look at um, how the CPRB operates and what the record is in the last couple of years. And one of the things I guess I didn't totally understand was these layers, levels of review. Um, and I know there's a level that specifies interviewing or meeting with the complainant. Um, and I guess I wasn't sure, you know. Uh, I guess I, look, I looked at a, a lot of different reports and complaints over the last years and I didn't see any evidence of, of that level of review being specified. And I was wondering, I mean, does that mean that the CPRB does not meet or has not in the last couple of years met with any complainants to hear their side of the story? Or am I, I guess I'm just wondering if there's a piece of this that I'm missing, if there's some sort of other it's typical to meet with complainants on a more informal basis, or if not having that level of review doesn't, you know, mean something else or something. I don't know if that's um, uh, understandable, but I, I guess I was, if it, to the degree it suggested that the CPRB wasn't meeting with complainants, it was something that I was uh, sort of struck by. 
Uh, I guess I'm not sure if I'm able to ask questions in this forum, but but this was just something that I was um, looking at. So I'll, I'll put that out there. I could, I suppose I could also bring this question in a, in a different forum if that's more appropriate. Thanks. Marvel, do you want to take that one first or do you want me to? Yeah, I'll just start off by saying that you know, the, uh, you know, the board, we basically, when a plant completes its file, we, we eventually have access to the information and we, we take a look at and process all of the information that's available to us. Most of the time, you know, we have enough information to feel comfortable making a decision to do what we need to do. But if we ever get to the point where we don't, we do have uh, the capacity to request to meet with the individual. So that's something that the board can can do. Yeah, I'll just piggyback on that, Aaron. I think Laura raised some good points. That That's a first step that Pat always reminds us during our meetings is we have to set the level of review and we take it seriously. Um, I think uh, number one, every complaint that comes through already has uh, a narrative um, that explains their side, as you, as you put it, the complainant side. Um, and then we wouldn't be looking at things until after um, the police has already responded and kind of flushed out some of that. And, and most recently, ever since I've been on here anyway, uh, there's been police video body camera and car camera that we've been able to watch um, in almost every single, everyone that I can remember. Um, that really helps kind of witness, be a, a direct witness to the events. Um, so that when we do set that level of review, I think I've been very comfortable um, so far after having reviewed all evidence to not need a further interview to, to understand what happened, understand the, the claims by the complainant um, to the best of my recollection right now um, that we have not asked for that and that would be for that reason but it is a possibility if we wanted to to bring them in and and uh to do other things such as hire an investigator if we needed to um within that same ordinance allowance uh next we have leslie carpenter Hi there, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. This is Leslie Carpenter. I am an advocate for people who have serious brain disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, et cetera. Um, I'm highly active in our community with NAMI Johnson County as well. Um, I just wanted to um, agree with the idea of having trained mental health professionals um, accompany police on mental health calls. I think that's highly appropriate. Um, but I do want to point out that the only reason that the police get involved in the first place is because all other systems in the mental health treatment system have failed and they are allowed to say no. Police are not allowed to say no. And unfortunately, that's what's caused many of the crises that we see today that do tend to adversely affect people of color more than white people. Um, so 
I think part of the solution is having mental health professionals accompany police. Unfortunately, I think we're going to find a shortage of those types of professionals being available as we're already ranked pretty low on the totem pole for the number of mental health professionals in our state in the first place. Um, I'd be happy to have a more extensive conversation at some other point in time, um, but just wanted to make the point that yes, it would be better to have mental health professionals or social workers agree um, and assist police with these calls and to help to de-escalate them further. Um, but we do need to face the reality that we still need to work on a state and federal level to fix the overall system. Thank you. Very good points. Yeah. I, I think that's a very profound point and uh, also with Mr. Drewstop's points. And I just wanna to add to those things. My own impression is the police also are a lot of times responding to these issues with mental health um, where there needs to be some type of um, policing, so to speak, uh, to, to protect safety and, uh, and to sometimes the, there's violence and the threat of violence that accompanies a lot of these um, complaints where sending just a mental health worker that might not be trained in police tactics is not enough. I'd just like- It's a very complex issue. Yeah, I'd just like to add that, you know, when it comes to mental health, that's a very sensitive area because the number one goal has to be for the police officer to basically get a control of the setting so that it becomes a safe environment for an individual who's in a crisis. And basically his or her thinking is such that it's not advantageous to him. So, you know, this is a, a plus negative. The plus is that the person in the crisis now has someone there that wants to help them. The negative is the person that there is that's trying to help them, our police, basically are trying to get control of the situation to assure that the person is not gonna hurt his or herself. And I guess a lot of times with onlookers looking on, this can really be misinterpreted, but you know, it's, um, I, I think our city basically has done a good job in terms of advocating for, you know, mental health, but we do have a ways to go, I agree. Okay, uh, next speaker is Meredith Chen. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hi there. So I'm also following up on David Drustrup's point on mental health and response. Um, also taking into mind uh, Leslie Carpenter's response. I'm actually a former resident of the Willamette Valley, Oregon, and somewhat familiar with the Eugene Cahoots program. Um, my sister having been able to use it at one point. Um, just, I think my reflection here is that emergency medical response used to be conducted by the police as well, um, including traumatic injuries until a group, one of the um, earliest groups was the Freedom House Ambulance Service, which was built up in Pittsburgh by a group of 
black folk which were otherwise not being treated. Um, and they encountered a lot of roadblocks and limitations. However, they really were the pioneers of that program, which was also just assumed to be under police control. Um, so I, I would, I, I don't have very articulate statements here, I'm sorry to say, but I would encourage looking into it as a, as a brainstorming thinker, I think there's a way that we could make it work. Taking that additional burden off the police might be for everyone's better interest. Thank you. I also kind of want to respond to that whole topic of conversation and what you said, Orville, about um, you know, the police's goal in those situations to be to keep people safe. Um, but in order for a situation that is unsafe due to a mental health incident to become safe, the person who is experiencing that mental health situation has to feel safe. And unfortunately, when they are dealing with a crisis, having be, being approached by usually multiple armed individuals does not tend to make that person feel safe. And therefore they don't tend to, they tend to have a big barrier to creating a safe situation that doesn't cause additional trauma. Good point. Okay, um, we have Amel Ali um, and then Eric Harris, and then we'll circle back to Aaron, Aaron Page. I apologize if I cut you off before you were done. Hear me? We can. Okay, perfect. Um, hi, my name's Amel Ali. Um, I have lived in Iowa City for probably almost 21 years now. I'm an immigrant from Sudan. Um, and I really love this community and it, I care about it a lot. And it sucks because I did not ever know that there was a community police review board. Um, it would have been, you know, in situations that I was in in the past, it would have been helpful to know that there was this type of board that I could come to um, if I felt like a situation was handled improperly. Um, and so I wanted to maybe like make a suggestion and see if there was any way that you could kind of make it more known that you guys are available as a resource. Um, whether it be, you know, taking like the cards that you get from police officers and writing something on the back, like, Hey, if you have any issues, uh, please reach out to us and tell us about your experience or something along those lines, just because I think it would be, um, helpful for people to know about this because I definitely didn't hear about this at all until a couple of months ago. I think that having basic CPRB contact information printed on the back of officer ID business cards is a great idea. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also just trying to make a, a more um, 
availability as far as this information, um, either through online or um, I think we've talked about maybe having more than one forum a, a year um, to kind of just, I mean, just having one a year seems like it's, it, it kind of leaves people's mind and people forget about that we're actually here. Um, and just having it made it maybe more than once a year will kind of and start building that kind of um, connection and communication with the community more will help with, um, you know, with people um, discovering the board. Eric Harris is next. Okay. Yes, my name is Eric Harris. Um, I live in the South District neighborhood. I'm also on the Leadership Council of the South District Neighborhood Association. And I'm also a employee of the Shelter House. So I want to comment on the comments I heard about should there be mental health, um, mental health people that should accompany the police when they have calls of, you know, people having disruptive behavior or people having, you know, some type of mental, uh, like some type of mental issue, like whether it be induced by alcohol or drugs. And being that I work at the shelter house, I'm right there on the front lines um, in that same area. There is um, a drug treatment center. Um, there's going to be the access center soon in that area. And being that I see things happening on the front line, Sometimes when the when the like law enforcement shows up to deal with people who are having issues, sometimes what I think and what I see is that they're confused on what to do. Um, they don't want to scare a person, but they want to help the person, which I can't say that I see them do a good job at it. But at times they don't have any response because they're not sure of what to do with the person who's having an episode or experiencing anything or being disruptive and some of those times uh, um like excuse me um like some of those times those people um don't need to go to jail they you know that need some help and being that you know i'm on the front line i felt that, that it was my right to, to you know at least try to make you know like just make people aware of that you know so i do agree with the need for some mental health people to come out with law enforcement. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just like to, you know, kind of, kind of, in, in responding to that. Uh, I think we have a national movement now where there's a lot of forcing uh, in terms of eliminating our police departments. And, you know, obviously I personally wouldn't want to see this happen, but I kind of get the feeling that down the road, what what may happen, hopefully what will happen is that we're going to have some changes and, you know, not necessarily eliminating police departments, but, you know, initiating some changes that basically is going to make our departments more efficient in terms of how do we provide not only needed services to citizens, but also effective and that means that, you know, we're going to have to change the way we do things. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what our police forces will look like in the next five years. 
and carrying that forward to the courts as well. I had the pleasure of working in Iowa City um, with um, the drug courts, and I found them to be incredibly effective and a, a good means towards the straight up penalty type of, of enforcement and, and handling the issues where you can actually work with people to help them get to the right personnel. And if we can start that in a more proactive sense, right from the incident, uh, it's great. I think one of our concerns that Orville and I addressed before too is, you know, I think it's been commented on is, is just, we have a, a difficult time of drawing that line of how do you hand off the situation where people are needing safety and, and that help of the police and yet also needing the safety and help of somebody with um, more mental health training. Like where does that, where's that line get drawn? And I think it's a great conversation that we all need to have and we just have to be very cognizant of all of the complexities. Okay, uh, we're gonna have Aaron Page and then we'll have Margaret Fuller. <clears throat> yeah, hi. Um, I mean, I guess this is sort of in a, in a mode of follow up on, um, you know, with the benefit of the information I received to my question. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I guess that the, that the board is not actually talking to complainants. And, you know, to some extent, it's to, to, to address that, to express some dismay about that, because I think um, Th that would be very concerning for me. I mean, I think I am an attorney. So part of me is looking at this just as a fact finding issue. I mean, the idea that the board is sitting down with on the one hand, a police report that's been fully researched by an institution. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, a, a PDF, like a, a form, a, oftentimes probably a handwritten form, right? Of, of just a couple of an initial impression by the complainant and having to make a decision on that, that doesn't seem remotely fair. And it seems like there's gonna be a lot of complications and a lot of other nuances that would be left out and that you'd wanna pick up by actually talking to the person who went through this. Um, and I understand that there's body cam video in some cases or maybe all cases, but even body cam video, of course, uh, can be contextualized or explained or need, you know, I just don't understand why that decision wouldn't be made without the benefit of hearing from the complainant and certainly my exposure to other citizen, you know, other boards like this in other cities, uh, receiving, receiving and interviewing the complainant is just, it seems to be the bedrock function. And it's also part of, I guess the last thing I'd say is it's part of the mediating function, I think, between, you know, the, the injured individual who considers himself in, injured and the, and the police. And I guess I'd encourage the board to think about, you know, what this process looks like from a complainant standpoint in the sense that they feel, you know, they genuinely feel they've been injured. I think we all know that, you know, these aren't fraudulent reports. They, you know, they fill something out and they send it in and then they get back without even being contacted, they get back a, you know, some sort of a notice that, that, that their complaint isn't being sustained and they weren't even allowed to explain their side of the story to anybody. I just wonder if that actually inflicts even more you know, injury on the perceived, you know, on the sort of perceived fairness of the situation. Um, so that I find that really surprising and a, sort of a difficult fact. Uh, but also, anyway, and I'll, I'll just I'll end it. I'll end it with that with that comment. Thank you. Definitely see that point of view. Okay, we'll have Margaret Fuller and then Angie Jordan. Hi, this is Margaret. Um, I have a couple questions. 
Uh, one question I had is sort of a basic one. I've never attended uh, this committee presentation before. And I'm wondering as far as, you know, kind of some people are talking about more radical transformation of the police department uh, beyond simple reforms. So I was wondering what role this committee has in something moving forward like that. Do you have any, um, any influence in that direction or do you deal with cases on a case-by-case -case basis? That's my first question. Do you guys wanna address that before I ask my second question? We have the authority to make recommendations to the city council for policy changes. Okay, so you, you communicate directly with the with the council. Well, I, okay, we, we, we basically uh, on a case by case basis, you know, as as uh, complaints are filed, then you know part of the process is after the police chief reviews it and makes a decision, then it comes to the board. We take a look at it and uh, review it and we make a decision. And then we send a written report to the city council with our findings. Okay, great. And then my second question is about sort of the level of information that's provided to you from the police department. So you were talking about a case by case basis, but do you also get information about the frequency of certain routes being traveled, the locations of different numbers of arrests in different areas, like are different neighborhoods being over-policed? Do you have that sort of higher level data, um, you know, like the, the race of different people who are, you know, forces being used disproportionately? Could that information be uh, accessed by your committee? I would say basically we, we, we do it on a case-by-case -case basis and we do have access to all of the information that's pertinent to that case. Uh, the officers, uh, cam body cameras, the squad car, you know, camera, uh, basically we have access to that and if we feel we need more, then we can request that. I think she's so you don't. Yeah, she's asking more about, yeah, go ahead, Amanda, go ahead. Um, I think she's asking a broader question about more about being able to see trends, like some of the kind of um, detailed recommendations that were made for some of our, our changes regarding quarterly reports and things like that. Um, so, yeah, we do get quarterly reports. Right yeah. Do you want to answer it then, Amanda, about the quarterly reports and things? Um, I guess I'm... I'm not quite sure yet, since I've only been on the board for a couple of months, how much information precisely we get in that. I know that there were some recommendations made to start to get more information in quarterly reports, but I'm not sure what we get now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't actually remember how much information we get in the quarterly reports, which means that it's probably very little information that's in the quarterly reports if I don't remember it. So yeah, um, but if, um, so, uh, if like David or Orville, who's been on there, I mean, I've only been on there for two years, but I don't, I honestly do not remember it having a lot of information, yeah. but maybe someone else can remember. I, I think we get quite a bit mm -hmm. of information, but unfortunately, I don't think we get the information that, uh, that the young lady was, you know, talking about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I, we do get, um, several pieces of information. Um, we get um, things including 
the number of complaints that were filed um, to the police and the complaints that we reviewed, um, the times that the chief sustained them, the times that we sustained them. Um, we get some other information regarding arrests. Uh, I, I, we get all of those things. We've also got, as far as the police review board goes, a, an opportunity, a charge, so to speak, from city council to recommend um, things that we might want as board members to try and enhance our oversight of the police department. And we are in the process of developing that report. It was just given to us a couple um, months ago and we're getting some more information and feedback from other members as well. The uh, one of the proposals that we are all um, addressing enhances some of that information closer to what you've um, kind of touched upon, Mrs. Fuller, um, about the the number of arrests in different areas, the um, demographics of those arrests or stops, um, where excessive force may have been used, um, more weapons are drawn, those kind of um, issues. Something that we are right now debating amongst ourselves about um, perhaps what we might want to ask the city council to have provided to us so that we can in, enhance our oversight with those with that greater amount of additional information. The quarterly reports, um, so that it's not a memory test here for Leticia or anybody else, are, are available as public record as well. So um, you, you're welcome to go and, and see what we are given um, and to kind of look for some of the, the trends, so to speak, and, and those type of things as well. Um, it should be available on the on the website. Yeah, it seems to me like that information is uh, almost even more important than individual case information, um, at least as important, I think, for the board to be able to review the police department behavior overall instead of on a microcosm. I think, I think it's important that we remember that we are an advisory board. But luckily, with what's been going on and the charge we recently got from the city council, we, we're going to be able to, you know, talk to past uh, board members, uh, collect information, uh, what we're talking about in this form is going to be important. You know, we'll be getting good information from it. So we're going to be submitting a report with recommendations to the city council that hopefully will strengthen you know, our board's uh, presence, but also stand within those boundaries of being an advisory board. Thank you so much. Okay, um, we'll go to Angie Jordan, uh, followed by Tammy Knighton. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Awesome, thank you guys so much for having this. Um, I've got a few different things, so I'm just gonna kind of put one out there and see what happens. Um, one, I just wanna really agree with mostly everything that's being said by folks. Uh, another thing too is I'm a huge supporter of you guys meeting uh, more regularly for public engagement. Um, I'm excited that our Iowa City Police Department is going to be coming to our South District Neighborhood Association meetings 
regularly to give us updated current neighborhood information that we request. Um, I think we need more of that in all neighborhoods personally, um, but especially in the ones that, in my opinion, are underrepresented and underserved sometimes and overserved and all the things. Um, something that I was just wanna make sure gets put out there is neighborhood engagement. Um, having a social worker, a mental health worker, I hope this becomes part of the policing team. I also hope that there are neighborhood liaisons, uh, folks that are from the neighborhood, residents that have stepped up into leadership positions that can be called upon. We have our own little task force in the South District that goes out and um, checks in on folks. Uh, we wanna be utilized, the neighbors and the residents from these communities, we, I'm saying it, I'm one of them. We wanna be utilized. So how do we get integrated into uh, kind of reforming the police? I would also, and I know I'm going on and on, but I'm just gonna spit it all out. Um, is there a possibility for residents uh, to be part of hiring and training processes? Is the CPRB, are you guys already able to make recommendations on that? And are you all involved in making recommendations for union contracts that are being renewed? So it's a lot of stuff there. I don't know what you guys wanna chew on, but thanks for this opportunity. Amanda, do you want to take some of that on? Question. Uh, I think there was a couple questions in there, and I think there were some good points. Um, some things the board right now has capacity to to do, and some things we don't. Um, hiring and training, we're not involved in in that um, at this time. We are again one of our proposals. Um, that we are considering as a board is recommending to the city council is that we might be more involved in the discipline uh, side of it to hear what discipline might happen and tied to discipline would be training and additional training um, for officers if misconduct was found. Um, we do uh, get briefed on what the officers coming out of the academy and things are, are trained on and, and those type of likes, um, but uh, we don't really have any direct oversight of that. Um, as far as union contract, we have nothing to do with that. Um, and we have not reviewed that. Um, it's not really within our capacity. I think one thing that we might want to clarify um, is that my understanding, and again, this is just limited my understanding of, of what the CPRB was meant to do, especially when we first came on, um, the term was basically to review complaints that were made directly on a case by case basis. Uh, about police misconduct and look at that individual case more than anything and determine whether or not we agreed with the police um, recommendation that there was misconduct or not misconduct. And and where we disagreed or where we agreed, we'd file a report to kind of just alert um, the city council about it. That was, that was our primary function. We also looked at policy um, and reviewed policy and to make some certain changes or recommendations for changes. Again, just recommendations. That was it. And um, we were one of the only, we were the only in Iowa, we were one of the only um, even doing that as a community police review board. And um, this new wave of, you know, what else should we be doing as, as a community and as civilians and um, trying to oversight and give oversight to the police is, is fantastic. It's great. But 
the board is is metamorphosizing right now from what we were from a long time ago. So your kind of uh, suggestions, I think, are fantastic, and we need to just um, also recognize like where we are, where we were, and how quickly we can change, and how many how many hats a five person team here can actually wear at one time. And if we can delegate some of that, I'd be all for it. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned earlier, we are an advisory board. Uh, I don't think we want to get into discipline or, you know, trying to tell, you know, the police chief what he, he, he or she should do. But at the same time, I think it's important that we take advantage of the opportunity that's been presented to us to do everything we can to make sure that we're not a token board, that we're just not here to have a name to make it look like we're doing something. I think it's important that, you know, we as a, as a board have something to offer and I'm hoping that we can get to the point where we have some not necessarily powers, but, you know, to make sure that we are making a difference. Did those answer most of your questions, Ms. Jordan? Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And we'll have um, Tammy Knighton and then she'll be followed by, oops, and she just disappeared. Uh, oh, there she is. She'll be followed by Temple Hyatt. Can you hear me? Yeah, Tammy. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I want to thank you for holding this and um, reiterate some of the things people have already said, but add a few things. When it comes to mental health, the police involvement is usually going to escalate as opposed to de-escalate situations. And one thing to think about is doing an audit of how many calls or wellness checks and mental health related and considering that ratio and then consider moving that funding into creating a new agency that focuses on mental health and the training is specifically mental health and de-escalation and not in control. I'm concerned because sometimes the police end up being called in and even in hospitals for symptoms that are related to mental health illness because we don't currently have the kind of mental health training that we need for very violent cases. And we need to rethink that as an earlier speaker said about having a different kind of training in a different kind of agency. And as um, Leslie Carpenter pointed out, that's going to mean thinking about um, workforce. And so we have to think about that as a long-term goal. I wanted to add one other piece that wasn't mentioned, and that is we have to think about the role of racism and mental health and how if you are from a group that has been disproportionately punished in a community, seeing somebody in uniform and with weapons um, is going to raise your anxiety um, in a way that is rational and um, going to exacerbate um, a mental health response. And so we need to consider that. Thank you. I would also like, yeah, I would also like to also add that, um, that we're also going to be dealing with medical racism. So we're, even if we are even if police or um, social workers are dealing with someone who has been identified as having a mental health issue, sometimes us as people of color are also 
not believe they actually have mental illness. <laughs> so um, we're, we're also, <laughs> so we have to actually also deal with not only the fact that, you know, we have police that are not um, prepared to deal with people who are, uh, who are having episodes or mental, mental issues, but also the fact that sometimes people don't even believe that people of color actually have mental issues and that our, our, um, our aggressions or our, um, um, some of the, the episodes that we're going through are, are related to something else, usually either drug or alcohol or just, uh, you know, just um, aggression in general and not actually, we're not dealing with any kind of mental episodes. So that's something we also need to think about. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people aren't aware of it, but mental health population is a lot larger than, than you would even imagine. And it's probably one of the more difficult populations to address. I mean, you've got a perfectly normal acting person who's that way because they're taking a medication. They may stop taking medication, but you never know when an onset of mental illness episode is going to happen. So, I mean, I personally feel that if we ever get to the point that we're going to adequately address it, we're going to have to go to some form of a team where you've got law enforcement and you've got mental health, a professional, you know, on duty together so that when a person has an episode, then you're going to be sending people out who really have the expertise and knowledge to do what's needed. I would like to see the um, mental health professionals and harm reduction professionals um, on that team be the ones to make that call, make that decision as to whether or not they felt that they needed to have the police presence be visible yeah, I, there in that location at that moment. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, we should try to remove as much interaction with the police and people who are dealing with those kinds of episodes as possible. Um, you know, unless, you know, this myth, the mental health provider or, you know, you said harm reduction, they feel that they are walking into a situation that could be potentially dangerous. And then th that, but that would be a decision that they would have to make. And, and I think that a lot of times that those um, situations are, are like an emergency by the time the call is made. And there's not always time to to utilize everybody at that specific moment. And I think that's something that has to be taken into consideration. What if the emergency call was placed to Amanda and Letitia's request, which is trained professionals in the mental health agency first, if you had that, if instead of a 911, you had an 811 and mental health professionals showed up, it might deescalate the situation, so. That's true. That's true. Unfortunately, usually when that call is made, the one constant factor is panic. The parents are mm -hmm. panicking, yep. or neighbors, but, and the person who's having the episode is very unpredictable. So, you know, I, you know, I agree. We, we really need to take a look at having a, an approach that's going to adequately address the needs of our mental health population. And another issue is that the emergency mental health team that you're told can be called will not respond unless the person in crisis is the one to call them. And I think that just, that's something that I have found out that was 
pretty troubling. That narrows your choices. So. This would be, I mean, if we if we were to, as a community, you know, obviously not just CPRB doesn't have the power to do this on our own, but if those were changes that we were to be able to make, it wouldn't have to follow all of the same regulations and guidelines as what exists now. Right. Um, if, if Tammy is finished, we'll move to Temple Hyatt. Can you hear me? Hello? Hi. Okay, thank you. Um, this is my first time um, attending the the board um, meeting, and I appreciate the opportunity for the, the citizens' input. Um, I'm a member of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, and we do a lot of work um, with survivors and making sure that, that their voices are heard. Um, my, my question about the, the recommendations that you make um, to, the, to the police, do they ever involve reparations um, for, uh, or support services for those that have been harmed by gun violence? And this could be, um, you know, any, anyone, this could be obviously a victim that suffered gun violence. It could be a, a witness to gun violence. Um, and of course, you know, people who are uh, potentially suspects um, that have been harmed by gun violence. Yeah, I think that was one of the recommendations. One of the things we are uh, looking into as far as amending the ordinance as far as providing some kind of um, some kind of um, recommendations for um, for restitution or reconciliation when it comes to uh, people who've had uh, interactions with the police I think we've I think we I think that's one of the one of the things we've discussed as far as um, adding as a, a piece to our uh, to our um, ordinance great yeah, just to be clear too, up until now, we have not had any capacity to discuss discipline or training or reparations. Um, it was merely a, a recommendation on whether or not we agreed as a panel of five um, community members with the police on sustaining or not sustaining alleged misconduct in, in a report. That was it. <clears throat> it did not include any discipline. All right, I'm I'm not real familiar with um, you know what kinds of services the the police department or the city might provide. Um, so if you have any input on that or or information, I would appreciate it. I think that's an area that basically, you know, it's been it's been discussed, but. You know, you're talking about uh, something to do with finances. So that's that's kind of a different neighborhood than we hang out in. Well, and also the state has the state has the victim um, 
reward financial uh, appointments, too. There is a fund for that through the state. But I think, you know, questions like this would probably get better results if the person were to uh, attend the city council meeting and doing public discussion, basically shared knowledge and concerns. If you've been a victim or, or, or suffered, you know, harm, I, I, I don't know that that would be something that someone would feel comfortable in doing. Um, but I think certainly that, that, that is, that is something that, um, that I think should be in the, in the, um, realm of responsibilities for this board. So thanks. That's good to hear that, that, uh, that that's being, um, considered. Okay. And thank you for your recommendation. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. It looks like, um, and I'm sorry about the name, Sabri Sky. Hello, yes, Sabri. Um, so I didn't realize I was next. Um, uh, so I'm speaking as somebody who has uh, been the survivor of uh, police violence and um, re really difficult uh, uh, police interactions. Um, and I will say that they've gotten better, I think, um, in town, but that's also somewhat because of my being able to, to open up more. And I just want to reiterate, for one, something that I, I know that everybody here already knows, but I, that I, I really want to see it applied in detailed, if not nuanced ways, um, I guess, in police policing policy and training and training pardon that people are afraid of police people are anxious and uh even say in the south district um at the the community feedback sessions this summer um people mentioned uh, some of the speakers mentioned having community interactions you know in the neighborhood with police that were that were good and friendly but there is for uh, I think, uh, like Tam Tam Tammy Nagel said, for uh, for rational reasons, people have anxiety when when police show up, and the focus. So, or coming from that, the focus on a mental health, Ill mental illness, or mental health problem incident or episode. Well, I appreciate that, and I think we need to consider that, um, like Letitia is saying, uh, like Letitia was saying, um, and be sympathetic and empathetic and, uh, you know, caring and medical in the response to that. There's also a problem in that because part of the medical response, the medical, you know, physical interactive protocol response is police physically grabbing a person and restraining them. And the, the jump from interactions in my experience and the experience of many other people that I have 
communicated and had support <laughs> groups discussion type discussions with about this th that jump is extremely quickly and all of the supposed rationale or reason for that escalation is placed on the individual while and i you know i understand logically the police or the people reacting with because it's not just police it's also emts and i would honestly have concerns about whatever social workers or mental health professionals might be in the alternate response team they don't know anything about the person's background but that is not necessarily a reason to act like they must you know the person in question must be the most dangerous person in the world and my experience has been that's how they're treating you and it forces the situation to escalate into mm -hmm. violence and the experience of it is dehumanizing violence. Um, I'll just leave it at that right now. Well, I think, you know, basically there are certain things that I think it's important that citizens not be aware of. And that is, number one, if you ask the police officer for his or hers name, they have, they have an obligation to give it to you. Second thing to keep in mind is that all officers are wearing body cameras. So, you know, if, and if, if, if it's a deal where they've stopped you and, and, and there's a squad car, you can get the, the number of the squad car and, and the time of day. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that can happen if inappropriate actions by police officers are reported. And I think that's that's something we really need to focus on is, you know, reporting inappropriate behaviors. So I want to say that's really important and encouraging and thank you. Um, but like it, it took me five years to even think about going and asking for the report to find out the names of those officers or You know, any of these other things because of the effect it has on people. Um, and also, my point is that what is considered appropriate is damaging. Uh, Scott, <laughs> I'd just like to share something else with you. Here in our city, you know, we're lucky. We hit the jackpot. You know, we've, we've, we've had a police chief that was just fantastic, that was very demanding of his staff. And as a result of that, you know, any inappropriate behaviors were dealt with. So if you have concerns, I mean, you know, you can share that with the police force or you can file a claim with the, um, with, with our board. Some of that um, too. I, go, go ahead, Amanda. I was actually going to refer to what you had said previously, so go. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to, you know, just wanted to talk to what Savory is talking about as far as, um, she, she she was not able to get to the point where she felt comfortable to actually make a complaint. And um, I mean, the only, the only solution within the board that I can tell you is that if you don't feel comfortable or if you want someone to, to assist you on your half, you can bring in a third party person to assist you with the complaint process. If you feel that personally, you are not in, 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 in the, you know, in the emotional capacity to handle it yourself. And also, and I think we need to, and I think we need to also be aware of what Savory is saying as far as um, 
you know, her experience with uh, mental health uh, professionals, with EMT, with um, social workers, that sometimes they are also involved in some of the kind of police tactics that we do not want those people to have. So we're going to have to do some, our own, our own kind of um, troubleshooting, our own, not troubleshooting, but our only our kind of think about ways that we can incorporate these other resources into uh, public health or public safety without it being a, another form of policing. And if you would prefer not to have to deal with a group of people, you can file a plaint with the Human Rights Office, and that way you'll be dealing with one person. Thank you for sharing that experience with us, Sammy. Okay, um, I don't see anyone else with their hand raised. Um, just a reminder, if you're on Zoom, you can use the raise hand. Um, and if you're on the phone, you can do star nine. Uh, looks like uh, we have Caroline Dieterly who would like to speak. I think you just need to unmute, Carolyn. Is coming through all right now? Yes. Yes? Yep, you're up. Okay. Uh, I followed the news reports and what's been going on with the incident that happened this summer with the tear gas that was thrown. And apparently, subsequently now, <clears throat> it has been uh, decided that uh, the Iowa City Police were some of the people who were involved with that. And um, I do understand that the council is, is gone, has gone back to wanting to have an independent investigation. And so this question is kind of jumping the, the gun, so to speak. But if they find that um, <clears throat> there is some fault in what was done, does this uh, mean that anything that the police review board can do anything about? I mean, basically, I think a lot of people are rather uncomfortable with having uh, tear gas used in, on citizens. We can't uh, dis discuss too much of the details of complaints, but we are going to be reviewing um, after the independent investigator and the police review board will be looking into the uh, conduct by the Iowa City Police, whether they sustain it um, through the city council or not, we'll have the opportunity to set our own level of review, including our own independent investigator um, and look into it. Well, that's very reassuring. I'm glad to hear that that's true. And I'm glad to hear that the board does have an independent investigator now, which I think years ago was not the case. To be clear, we do not have one now. Um, we are suggesting that it is in our authority, potentially, after the city council has its own independent investigator review it as part of our level of review after they make their report okay. to have such an investigator, if we need it. I, I thought that was part of the... Um, initiative that was passed years ago, but I didn't know that the board 
had any money to do anything like hiring an investigator. Is that something that the council would supply or do you have a budget now for that? We do have a th authority to request an independent investigator and utilize one. Um, okay, good. But that, that would not be, you know, often. It would just be uh, in those rare, situation, rare situations where we, we felt we needed uh, a, a different level of information. The other question, the other question I have is one that I asked years ago, and basically people laughed at me for asking it. But unfortunately, you know, things have, the way things have gone subsequently, I think my question is less laughable. And that is if President Trump, you know, followed through on his threat to declare martial law, prior to the uh, election. Um, what is the uh, thinking that has gone into what the city and the police department here would do in response to that? I think that's beyond our capacity with the police review board right now. We haven't addressed hypotheticals or those type of scenarios. Well, the trouble is, is that if you don't think ahead, if the uh, situation should arise and nobody's even talked about it, um, you're thoroughly behind the eight ball. So well, I, I would suggest that you do uh, talk about this as a possibility and what you would do in response. Caroline, I don't think that, you know, this is something that we we're going to have to do something real different, you know, I think it, if that were to happen, and basically as a result of that, our police force were, you know, dealing with public, and it would came out in a way that it was negative, then we would still, you know, you would still be able to file some and we would follow the same process that we followed all along. Okay, um, I do not see any more hands raised at this moment. Okay. If we, um, oh, I stand corrected. Uh, looks like we have Anna Bladell. Yes, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Uh, my name is Anna Bladel. Um, thank you for this forum. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, and I just wanted to, um, to echo in response to the previous question raised, I believe the, the person's name was Caroline and wanted to raise my voice also to encourage this uh, review board to be thinking about um, the escalation of violence that we're seeing in this country. 
Um, I, I don't think that we can just assume that things are going to stay as they are, or even that as they are is acceptable um, for a status quo. And so I would uh, encourage you all, I know that there is limited uh, capacity and uh, limited power, and that's part of what we're talking about. But I would like to echo that question and uh, strongly encourage uh, this group should be thinking about um, uh, how to prepare ourselves to be accountable to each other and to our communities. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and again, I, I don't have anyone waiting to speak to the board. Okay, uh, I'd like to basically, uh, you know, share some information at this time. We've talked about uh, the police review board, so I'd like to just give a, a little spill that, you know, gives specific information about the board. Uh, the CPRB reviews reports prepared after investigation of complaints about alleged police misconduct. It is issued its own written report that contains detailed findings of fact and conclusions that explain why and the extent to which complaints should be sustained or not sustained. The CPRB reviews policy, police policies, procedures, and practices and may recommend modification to them. The board shall hold at least one community forum each year for the purpose of hearing views on the policies, practices, and procedures of the Alba City Police Department. Any person with personal knowledge of an alleged police misconduct may file a CPRB complaint with the board. So this kind of, you know, keeps you intact with what we're really about. There are other things, but those are pretty, some of the basics. Also, we'd like to share with you that um, this is a public form, which is public record and being recorded for rebroadcast on City Channel 4. So this will be uh, rebroadcasted on Channel 4 at a later time. Orville, I do have somebody that has their hand raised. Okay. We want to let one more. Uh, it looks, uh, it's Rich Mathias. Hello, everybody. Um, yes, you pronounced my uh, last correctly, too. It is Mathias. I just wanted to ask, um, during this meeting, I heard one of the uh, board members mention that um, would be some training after a disciplinary report. I was just wondering if has anyone ever considered maybe doing the training before the dis disciplinary report? Um, maybe on something like racial profiling or something like that. Um, something like a, a prevention type thing instead of a disciplinary thing. So, 
if I understand your question right, is whether or not we are overseeing the police and recommending that they're getting training on tactics for um, various things before uh, before there's a, a, a specific finding of misconduct where we recommend that certain officer goes back and gets trained on something. So more of an oversight of their whole training schedule. Is that right, Mr. McCann? Yes. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Um, I'm just concerned. Oh, and I think it's totally appropriate for someone to get some training after they've been uh, issued a disciplinary report. But I just thought maybe some prevention measures, maybe the board could recommend to, to um, the law enforcement of Iowa City. Yeah, I think uh, reviewing where they're the police officers get trained and how they get trained is absolutely something that we should be looking into. And, um, you know, we have limited capacity right now. Um, we can only do so much, but I think um, of an oversight of what the training um, that's offered to the officers and, and whether or not we might inquire as to additional training and whether or not they're getting that is, is part of our functions and what we've done in, in the past to some degree. Um, we can do more, I think. Um, but I, I think there was a couple examples where we had with um, most recently police body cameras, for example, and, and the training on that. And we, we had the officers come in and explain to us how they were training a new cadet and what, uh, what their use of the body camera and the ordinance was. Um, just as a one example. So there is some of that going on. Thank you. Okay, I see no hands. So, since there are no other hands, uh, I guess that would bring us to the conclusion of our program. So, can I get a motion for adjourn? A motion. In motion, can I get a second? Second. Motion is second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? The ayes have it. Meeting is adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.